Sound Words, Christian Magazine, Volumes 11-20, republished by Irving Risch, host of Down to Earth but Heavenly Minded Podcast. Practical Reflections from the Life of Abraham. Genesis Chapter 22. In Genesis Chapter 22 we have the historical account of that which is so beautifully and touchingly epitomized by the Spirit of God in the Epistle to the Hebrews. By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Accounting that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure, Hebrews chapter 11 verse 17 to 19. It might be helpful, at this point, to note with reference to that remark Abel expression, he that had received the promises, that despite the fact that Abraham was asked to offer up Isaac, the one in whom all the promises reposed, he had so found that inward strength in faith as to lay hold upon the one who had made these wonderful promises, and which he had taken up and appropriated. Although in the present circumstances it seemed as though they had been given to be capriciously revoked. It may seem strange, at first thought, that God should put to the proof a faith he held in such precious regard, but this was Abraham's justification by works before men. God demonstrating before others that which he had long before seen and borne witness of. This is what James refers to, what is the prophet, my brethren, if any one say he have faith, but have not works. Can faith save him? Show me thy faith without works, and I from my works will show thee my faith. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Thou sharest that faith wrought with his works, and that by works faith was perfected. James chapter 2 verse 18 to 22. In all this, the spiritual mind, instructed and taught of the Spirit by the Word, sees yet another indisputable and convincing proof of the plenary inspiration of the Holy Scriptures, whereas the hypercritical disputant, his mind evilly disposed by agnostic prejudices, sees nothing but irrelevant contradictions. The child of God discerns with ever-growing wonderment and delight how each inspired pen man, as born along by the Spirit of God, adds to the harmonious completeness of the Word of God, which is indivisible in character and divine in origin, so that in the doctrine of justification by works, as set forth in the Epistle of James, he sees how this forms an integral and complementary part of the emancipating doctrine of justification by faith, as so strenuously affirmed by the Apostle Paul in the Epistle to the Romans. Paul gives us the inward principle, James, the outward development of that principle, but there must be the inward principle before there can be the outward acting. Abraham was justified when he believed God, and was accounted righteous in virtue of his faith this was his secret standing before God. But he was also justified when he offered up Isaac, this was before men, and in this way the reality of his faith in God was demonstrably witnessed to by God, so that the trial of Abraham's faith which is more precious than of gold that perisheth, and which was sustained to a triumphant conclusion, stands forth in the most honoured position. The trial of faith, at the hand of God himself, invariably results in great enrichment of soul, as we acquire an enhanced sense of the measureless resources which are available for us. How these great men of faith, Abraham, Paul, Peter and others exemplify in a preeminent degree the truth of these words, ye have, seen the end of the Lord. That the Lord is full of tender compassion and pitiful, James chapter 5 verse 11. How touching, though rebuking to us, the unquestioning, unhesitating obedience exhibited by Abraham in the carrying out of God's command. There is no emotional outburst, no plaintive entreaties, nature is entirely silent and subservient to the will of him who has demanded so great a sacrifice. 
All is measured with divine intent and precision, and in language calculated to impress Abraham with the magnitude of his sacrifice. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son, whom thou lovest, Isaac, and get thee into the land of Moriah. And there offer him up for a burnt offering on one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. But faith sees in all that took place between Abraham and Isaac the movements of another father and son. And in these carefully measured ingredients of sorrow which filled Abraham's cup to the brim, can we not discern the shadowy outline of a sacrifice transcendently greater than this by far? Yes, it is the father laying bare the deep and changeless love of a heart that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. Take now thy son, thine only son, God says to Abraham, and how significant is this in the light of that profound scripture, God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Such is the manner and the measure of the love he has manifested to us in the gift of his only begotten son, the son whom he loved. To some, this is too human a term to use, and profess to do him honor in denying that this is his divine name. They own him Son of God as that holy thing, born of the Virgin Mary, they own him too as God over all blessed forever, but his eternal sonship they do not own. As another has said, had the Father no bosom before Christ was born on earth. If there was no Son then, there was no Father. He that denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. And if such be the case, what of all the blessed consequences which imply and necessitate the existence of this eternal relationship? The Father has sent the Son as Saviour of the world, and God gave his only begotten Son. This expression is in contrast to his title, first begotten, first born among many brethren. The former as decisively excludes others from sharing with him, as the latter just as definitely includes others. And when, the Word became flesh, and tabernacled amongst us, the glory of deity, seen in the tabernacle of his manhood, was the glory as of an only begotten with a Father, full of grace and truth. Again. If only God could reveal God, it is the only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, who hath declared him. This blessed one, whom no one knows but the Father, was the nursling of his love, daily his delight in a past eternity. The Father only that blessed name of Son can comprehend. How John, whose peculiar theme is the manifestation of God in the Word made flesh, loves to bring before us the surpassing glory of him who is the only begotten. The Jews, the unrelenting persecutors of the Son of God, understood that in claiming God to be his Father, the Lord Jesus made himself equal with God. John chapter 5 verse 18. How very solemn, in spite of the clearest testimony of these and many other scriptures, certain men, in our own day, have had the temerity to say that the sonship of our blessed Lord constitutes him inferior to the Father. Our safety, in considering the truth relative to divine persons, lies in adhering unshakably to the sublime pronouncements of the Word of God. When the waves of infidelity lap with all their subtle, insidious, and disintegrating power, or dash themselves in all the destructive and unrestrained fury, we are safe only as we take our stand on, the impregnable rock of Holy Scripture, for in this infallible source of divine communication, the revelation of the Father and the Son is the very essence of Christianity. In considering the offering up of Isaac, how significantly do these precious words fall upon our ears, he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, Romans chapter 8 verse 32. It is the loved object of a father's heart that is to be delivered up in this most touching and affecting scene. Think of what Isaac was to Abraham, his son, his only one, his loved one, whose name conjures up the deep joy which his birth occasioned in the heart of the aged patriarch. 
And in all this we have a faint foreshadowing of what lay in the heart of the blessed God. Who can tell what it was to God to give up his blessed Son to death? A death which was the full manifestation of the love of God. How precious are these scriptures that reveal to us the deep, intense affection that existed between the Father and the Son, how spontaneous the reciprocation of affection. On this account the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again, and, but that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father has commanded me. This I do, John chapter 10 verse 17, John chapter 14 verse 31. The Lord Jesus was that perfect burnt offering, in which was expressed the sweet savour of perfect affections devoted to God in death. Truly his death was, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savour, Ephesians chapter 5 verse 2. All the offerings mentioned in Genesis partook of the character of the burnt offering, and in this chapter we are presented with another aspect in the development of the truth concerning this particular offering. It has been suggested that in Abel's offering we have the thought of excellence, then in Noah's the thought of cleanness, moral purity. But what we have here is a beautiful and touching picture of the affections involved in it. How precious is this aspect of the death of Christ, inasmuch as it was entirely for the pleasure of God. Think of how the Son cherished the thoughts of the Father concerning those who were to be his companions in glory, consequent upon his work of redemption, and who, in order to bring these precious thoughts into effect offered himself in all the fragrance of affection, which no suffering stayed, by which he provided a holy and divine basis on which all the purposes of eternal love could be brought to fruition. How the Father cherished these affections which were expressed in so supreme and profound a measure in death. We are so prone to consider only what the Lord Jesus took away in his death, but how supremely great is that which his death secured for the pleasure of the Father. Christ has also displayed, in the offering of himself, the affections of sonship in manhood, and a fruit of that offering will be that the many sons, whom he is bringing to glory in triumph, will respond to God eternally in all the strength of these affections proper to sonship. In Isaac's submission to the will of his father we see obedience in its perfection and beauty. He was not the child often pictured to us, he was in the full vigor of early manhood, yet how perfect and absolute is his submission. And it is this which gives emphasis to the touching words twice repeated, they went both of them together. The Father had sent the Son to accomplish his will, and the Son had come to do it. And in the Gospel of John we read, I am not alone, but I and the Father who has sent me, John chapter 8 verse 16, the Father and the Son are going on together. Again, the Son said, My Father worketh hitherto, and I work, John chapter 5 verse 17, and, he that hath sent me is with me, he has not left me alone. Because I do always the things that are pleasing to him, John chapter 8 verse 29. These and many more scriptures can be adduced as supporting the peculiar suitability of these words to the Father and the Son. Indeed, the whole of John's Gospel can be read in the light of these words, they went both of them together. Throughout the trial of Abraham's faith. We must not lose sight of the fact that the faith of resurrection cheered his heart, counting that God was able to raise Isaac, even from among the dead. Whence also he received him in a figure, Hebrews chapter 11 verse 19. The promises of God were assured in him of whom he had said, In Isaac shall thy seed be called. If therefore God called for him to be offered up. The resurrection power of God must restore him from the very flames of the altar, and indeed he was restored. For Abraham received him from the dead as, in a figure. This figure of resurrection must be borne in mind, for it is to Christ in resurrection that the events following typically refer. 
there appears to have been no suggestion previously of the action of resurrection power, it is an entirely new feature brought in in connection with this type. Abraham had said, I and the lad will go yonder and worship, and come again to you. Yes, Isaac would come again. It could not be otherwise to Abraham's faith, considering who Isaac was, for. As has already been stated, all the promises of God and their accomplishment were wrapped up in him. And how certain it is of the true Isaac that he would come again, for the pains of death, must be loosed, neither wilt thou allow thy holy one to see corruption. Thou wilt make known to me the path of life, Psalm chapter 16 verse 10 and 11. The power of resurrection was inherent in him, marked out Son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness, by resurrection of the dead, Romans chapter 1 verse 4. He was the resurrection and the life. And Sir Isaac is spared, the ram caught in a thicket by his horns is his substitute, a beautiful type surely of him who, in all the energy of divine love, offered himself in devoted and unswerving obedience for the carrying out of the Father's will, even unto death. It has been truly said that Christ was held by the strength of his love for the accomplishing of all that precious work that was needful for the glory of God and for the gratification of the Father's heart, so that the many sons might be brought to glory. The voice of God stayed the hand of Abraham and preserved the life of Isaac. But there was no voice from heaven to stay the rod of divine judgment that fell in all its crushing power upon the blessed head of our sinless substitute. No alleviating power or influence was allowed to enfeeble the sense of divine wrath that pressed in upon his holy soul. He could say, I looked, and there was none to help, and I wondered that there was none to uphold. This, however, was more in accordance with the character of the sin offering where the Holy One of God was made sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. On the cross he bore our sins, and as made sin was forsaken of God, and endured the fire of divine wrath against sin. As the sin offering, God took up the question of sin with him according to his holiness, and in this connection the fire of necessity takes the character of wrath. But as the burnt offering, the character in which he is set forth typically in this chapter, the fire brings out all the sweet savour and acceptable fragrance of the spotless victim. Under the most intense searching and testing, even as suffering in the outside place, even when forsaken of God, having reached the culmination of his measureless sufferings, suffering all that was due to the righteousness and holiness of God, even then the searching action of the fire only brought into more distinctive relief the superlative and surpassing excellence of the sinner's surety. The intense searching and testing of the fire as applied to Christ, the beloved Son, only disclosed his inward devotion and perfection. How beautifully the chapter ends with the introduction of Rebecca, beautiful type of the church has brought to Christ, risen and glorified in heaven. It is a risen and glorified Christ who secures the bride. The true Isaac has been offered up, and now another divine person is brought typically into view, the Holy Spirit. With increasing wonder we contemplate the movements of the Spirit of God, who makes every circumstance subserve the end for which he came into the world. Sent of the Father for the express purpose of securing a bride for the Son of his love, and this is the work which is going on in the present dispensation, and will go on. In spite of all the evil machinations of the enemy to avert it, until in the glorious and triumphant consummation of the ways of God, the bride, with bridal affections for her absent lover will say in unison with the Spirit, Come, Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, come. The man of sorrows once, the man of patience waiting now, the man of joy, forever, thou, come, Saviour, come. Yes, the, man of joy, the true Isaac, he will laugh.